Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for This with uh, Father John Ricardo. That's me, Father John Ricardo, Executive Director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming parishes. And I'm back again with uh, two of the members of our team, Nick Jorgensen, Mary Guilfoyle. How are you guys doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Padre. It's Happy New Year. exciting to be here again. Oh, yeah. You love being in Detroit. Come on. I mean, we were <laughs> we just left the the gloomy, really depressing area of California where the sun shines like, I don't know, like 310 days a year or something like that. It's <laughs> great to be back in Detroit. It's gray. It's brown. I got my camera out. I'm taking pictures. This is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, we left sunshine and landed in rainy, cloudy, icy storms. Hey, but we're from the Midwest. We're tough. We like this, right? But we, snow and rain bless the Lord, right? That's absolutely. That's what the scriptures say. <laughs> yeah, so, so today's topic for this podcast is why aren't more Catholics overwhelmed by the gospel? But before we dive into that, we have to pray. Padre. Yeah, let's do that. Huh? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, we offer this time to you. We thank you for the, the gift of this day, wherever we are, whatever we've been doing. Uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon each of us, uh, us here as we talk, and upon all of our brothers and sisters who might listen to us, uh, that we would continually come to know in a deeper way the extraordinary things that you have done for us in your Son, Jesus that you'd give us all that we need to surrender to him who alone can remedy the ache of every human heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we were hoping to do this last week, right? I mean, we had all our equipment with us, and then what happened? As often happens, there was a little tech snafu. So we had ordered some equipment. It arrived. We were eager to unpack it, plugged everything in. No power. Yeah. Flatline. No power. I, <laughs> Nada. It's all right. It led to a providential conversation okay. with a brother, and we had a great time with that. God used it, right? So uh, we're a little right. bit behind in our podcast, but it's great to be back on the air. Great to be doing right. this and uh, excited to get going with uh, what it is we feel like the Lord wants us to talk about, huh? That's exactly yeah. right. So what were we doing in La Jolla last week? Yeah, so we were uh, in sunny La Jolla with the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology and the Napa Institute for their West Coast Priest Conference, oh. where like 200 men gather together to be nourished by some of the most amazing teachers there are. I think we were all jacked by it, and it was like being back in school, wasn't it? Yeah, it really, it really took me right back to theology class, yep. and I, I, hadn't been, I haven't been there in a while, and that just felt great. Yeah, quick shout-out for those, too. I mean, especially for my brother, priests who might be listening. Um, man, they do two of these a year, one in West Virginia in the summer, one in La Jolla in January. If i got to pick, I'm going to La Jolla. Um, man, brothers, go to this. It was a great fellowship, uh, great teaching, as we'll talk about here in a sec. Uh, and just a good time to get away. So um, real grateful, really grateful to the Napa Institute and to the folks at St. Paul. Rich, rich week. Yeah, absolutely. And talking to the priests and the side conversations, you could tell all of them were really yeah. just being touched. So so we're there at the uh, at the conference too, right? And we had a small role to play. Right. But what we were really trying to do was kind of unpack the core of our work, which centers in large part around um, the biblical worldview, the story. But before we get into that, those things we unpacked, we call them the three fundamental convictions, right? right? Uh, those are, the first one is, you were born for this, Hey, right? that's the title of a great podcast. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, should, we should search that out. We I just, love that. <laughs> so you're born for this, right? We're not born a thousand years ago. We're born today with, by God with a purpose in mind, his purpose in mind. And so discovering that purpose helps us to fulfill our role in the world. The second conviction is that the world is crying, right? We, talk, we talked about this last uh, podcast. Drug abuse, suicide, addiction. I mean, we're literally losing the will to live in our culture. Yeah, and again, right. the, the, the thing that we keep going back to, the most uh, glaring 
anecdote for me to explain this is the United States of America, the you know most prosperous country in the world, with all that we have, three consecutive years, our life expectancy has declined. And it's for all those reasons that you just mentioned, right? So, That's right. Yeah. yeah. And the third conviction? The church is also crying, right? So I've heard. <laughs> so we, none of us have to look too hard to see that happening right in front of our eyes, right? So, so those are the three convictions. We unpacked those um, at that conference. And the second thing we did was really talk about the three essential principles which are, the first one is... Reacquiring a biblical worldview. To begin to see reality as God sees it, right? Why did he come, right? The, his plan for a life, right. that we're destined for more, that there's more to life than this, right. and just the good news of what God has done, right, for the people that he created in his image and his likeness. Yep. Right, that, and the second principle then is it's not enough to be a staff, Right. In our parishes, we have to move from just being a staff, as great as that is, to becoming a team, and more than a team, a family. This, right. is, this is essential to the renewal of our parishes. And then that third principle. The third principle is what we call God as the architect, and that's really the heart of everything that we do. And the beauty of this, like what we want to do in subsequent podcasts, we want to tee these things up. We want to go deep with that mm-hmm. second principle and that third principle. But this time now is really dedicated to trying to break open this first essential principle to, to, to learn to see again with what I might call biblical lenses. And we could see the impact, right, as we were unpacking those convictions and those principles in our one-on-one time with yep. the priests that were there. Like it resonated with them. Yep. And it was our experience, right, as we were talking with guys one-on-one, they were encouraged. Yep. They were filled with hope. We just had some great conversations, so we're just really grateful to have been invited out there. Yeah, we really did. And we sat at the feet of some awesome teachers that, you know, most people who are in the church and especially a lot of converts have come to really know and love. So we had Scott Hahn, who's feeding us some, you know, like really rich meat at night. We had John Bergsma. We had Tim Gray. If you don't know these guys, if for whatever reason you're listening, you're not familiar with them, boy, you know, jump onto Amazon, check out a book, go to their website. Uh, for the St. Paul Center, it was it was really wonderful. And as as I was sitting there listening, you know, so the the audience was priests, right? So we spend years studying this in theology. This is what we do, and so guys were able to just dig in pretty quickly. But I my thought was, you know, most lay people, I think most lay people, not all lay people, but many of them, if they were hearing this, it would have been almost like it was too rich, you know, to use the food analogy. Like the food was was so substantive, it was so meaty, Mm -hmm. that if I don't know um, the story of salvation first, what we would call the biblical narrative or the biblical worldview, I don't know that this incredible fare would have had a place to land. And I think this is why we talked about this the last time we got together. That's why that quote from Plumbing Rutledge bears out so much truth in this because, again, she said in the final analysis, right, specialized theological knowledge can only take you so far, right? And at the end of the day, we need to know the story, what God has done for us. That's the line we want everybody to hold on to, right? Whether it's priests or lay people, we need to know the story. And when we say the story, we're talking about the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. St. Paul says in Romans 1, 16, the gospel is power. When he, uses, when he says power, he's using the word dunamis, right? Which, where we get the word dynamite. So the gospel is explosive power for the salvation of men, but so often we're not being overwhelmed by it, right. and we're not experiencing it as power. Right. So usually, you know, we get into this point, and then people are like, well, so what is, the, what is this gospel here, right? 
You know, so when Paul says the gospel's power, Paul, again, we talked on this last time, doesn't mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Paul means the basic proclamation of the gospel, which, again, in something like 1 Thessalonians 1, he talks about, you know, when, when Paul came to the community there or started to form the community there, he preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit was at work, it was powerful in the ears of the listeners, and the result was they turned from worshiping idols to the, to the living God, right? Mm-hmm. So... Romans is something like the abstract version, like the gospel's power. First Thessalonians is Paul saying, and it works. I've seen it happen. It happened here with you people in, uh, uh, in the community that I'm writing to in First Thessalonians. So there's, there's lots of ways to talk about this, right? I mean, the, the classical way of talking about the gospel or what we, uh, we interchangeably use as the kerygma, which is just the Greek word for proclamation, is uh, four parts, right? So the the kind of bland way of talking about this to me anyway is, so the goodness of creation, sin and its consequences, uh, God's response to our sin, and then our response to what God has done for us. But we, we take that because we try to just go deep with this, right? I mean, this has been a huge part of our work because it's one of our essential principles. And we're trying to form people in this or try to help people see biblically this way. So we, we, we do two other things with these four parts, right? One part is, uh, or one way, is just to turn these into four questions, each of which is very profound. Can you walk us through those real quick, Yeah, so why is there something rather than nothing? Like, why do you exist? Why are you here? Mm. You know, why is anything here? Why why is there a panda? Why are there universes or a universe, galaxies, Mm. right? Second question, why is everything so messed up? Like, just read the news. Obviously, everything's messed up. Third question, what, if anything, has got done about this? And then the fourth question, if he's done anything about it, how should I respond? Right, that's more helpful. Yeah. That's a more helpful way to look at it. Still a mouthful, though. Absolutely. And so at the, the instigation and the encouragement of uh, a brother of mine who heard me talking about some of these things, he said to me, uh, you got to find a way to make this more repeatable for people. So the way the Lord's kind of led me and us to talk about this, we just reduced the kerygma to four words, created, captured, rescued, response. And Pope Francis talks about this, enjoy the gospel. He says the first proclamation, referencing this power of the gospel, right? The first proclamation is called first, not because it exists at the beginning and can then be forgotten or replaced by other more important things. It is first in a qualitative sense, because it is the principal proclamation, the one which we must hear again, 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 and again in different ways. And this is so true for our lives, right? I mean, all of us sitting around the table right now, if we're not encountering the gospel over and over again, right. we dry up. And, and, and you're saying that the kerygma is first. Huh? Mm-hmm. And, and Pope John Paul, we use this quote all the time, right, when we're talking to people, but it's one of my favorite quotes from the Holy Father, where he says, so the, the result of this initial ardent proclamation, the kerygma, these four parts, four words, the way we talk about it, created, captured, rescued, response, is that a person is overwhelmed by what they've heard, and they make a decision to surrender their lives to Jesus mm. in faith. And so, so we're talking about just not intellectual knowledge. So, so what John Paul II is saying, this isn't just data and information. This is a heart response to what God has done for us and his son, Jesus Christ. We're so moved that now our whole lives are radically reoriented. Right, Father? Yep. So does that happen for most people in a Catholic church, you think? No, it doesn't. Yeah. So no, do it. You know, so if you're a priest right now, like I, you know, I don't know that I would encourage you to do this or not. Maybe you will. Um, just do a show of hands. You know, as you started home with this week. Hey, just want to know, like, how many people here have been overwhelmed 
by the message of the gospel. And you're looking out and you're going, okay, uh, one, <laughs> two, five, ten. Great, ten. You know, our church seats thousand. You know, but how we, many how many people here have made a decision based on the fact that they've been overwhelmed to surrender their lives? This doesn't mean that like I'm flawless. I'm anything but that. You guys work with me to surrender their lives to Jesus in faith. You get fewer hands, I think, right? But we can sympathize with that, right? Because that was my experience. Yep. Right? Growing up, we, you know, we heard the Word of God proclaimed every Sunday, but it didn't move us, right? Blessed be God. Thank God for His patience and His mercy. But you know that moment when you heard that in such a compelling way that it initiated a response, Right, So I feel for our brothers and sisters who have not yet met him and who do not yet know that it's possible to be in friendship with him. Absolutely. Father John, we have a few reasons we like to talk about why we think this happens. Yeah, I think quite frankly, the the most basic reason is because the lectionary that we use as Catholics doesn't lend itself to leading someone to a place where they're overwhelmed. don't, Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating we go rogue, okay? I mean, the lectionary is a great gift. It gives us exposure to scripture. It's beautiful. But, you know, like, as we talk about often, the mass presupposes that you've been evangelized. Right. Which, of course, is not the case for most people. I mean, they just tell you that. I mean, I remember asking people at the parish, I just left, you know, like, do you got a friendship with Jesus? And they'd look at me like I got five heads. And their answer would be, uh, no, I'm I'm Catholic, (laughs) you know? So so something's just not working here, right? I mean, so the lectionary gives exposure to a breadth of uh, scripture, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not laid out in such a way that people hear this story and are overwhelmed and then make a decision to surrender. So, Father it, John, recognizing like what you just laid out for us, do you want to walk us through how, so when you're talking to people in the pews and they don't know that it's possible, that it's God's desire that we be in friendship with them, with, with him rather, how did you remedy that? at the parish? How did you respond to that reality? Yeah, well, we, we, we might be able to go deep into that um, in a, another exercise. I mm-hmm. just know, or in another podcast, mm-hmm. I just know this, that at a certain point, if we do do this, if we do preach the gospel, we tend not to do it at Mass. Now, you, you know what I mean by that? Like, we preach the gospel at Mass, but we preach parts of it. We're talking about telling the story in a concise, you know, like extended format, like four or five weeks, right? As we're going to talk about here as, as we get to the end. I remember being at a conference. You and I were together with a couple other folks. We were at a discipleship conference, and in the middle of the conference, I felt like the Lord was talking to me, and he said something like, you know, uh, son, it's really great that you've had, you know, I think at the time we had a couple thousand people who'd gone through the Alpha course, but there's 12,000 people in the parish, and it's really great that you got a couple hundred people in disciple groups or small groups, Mm. but there's 12,000 people in the parish. And then I felt like he said to me, John, what are you doing for the people on Sunday? Hmm. Like that's the quote unquote captive audience that you have. And so I felt like he was just inspiring me with a whole set of things, which I needed to get um, clarification on to help me discern. So I went to the Archbishop of Detroit, uh, Archbishop Vigneron, sat down, told him what I was thinking. And I said, you know, I, I feel like the Lord might be leading us to consider um, not preaching on the lectionary for an extended period of time. We will read it, by all means, or we'll proclaim it, but I want to tell the story. Can I do this? And he looked at me and he says, uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Hmm. At which point I looked at him and I went, oh, shoot. Like, <laughs> 
Now what do we do? You know, I need the Lord to speak again. Now we had to come up with this, and and that's going to be another podcast when we talk about how God leads us to discern what it is that He's asking us to do. That's that principle that we call God as the architect. But we'll do that later, right? So so we need to we need to create opportunities where we can step back and just lay this out for our brothers and sisters. And of course, here's one of the you know like what I would acknowledge anyway as a priest. I get more and more empathetic with the Pharisees as I get older, Mm. 23 years ordained, because there's a danger to being professionally religious, whether you work in a parish as a layperson or you're an ordained priest or deacon. We get get used to talking about Mm. all of this, which is so extraordinary, and it should move us, and tragically, oftentimes, it doesn't. Yeah, we're just... In La Jolla last week, right? And we're talking, we already referenced Dr. John Bergsma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he was a professor of mine in Steubenville a number of years ago as well. Uh, he still teaches there. And um, I remember being in his uh, Old Testament course, and as he would preach or teach the, the scriptures and open them up for us, right? I mean, this is, the, and this is the first time I've ever been in a scripture course, not really realizing the power mm-hmm. of, of the Bible. And as he's preaching, he starts to tear up from time to time because he is being moved by who God is and what he has done for us. And and, and we saw that on display we did. in La Jolla. I mean, the beauty that he would continue to be so vulnerable with God that he would be a lot that he would allow himself to be touched by the word is tremendous. And that's and that is the exact thing. Um, we're talking about here, yeah, right? And that's a powerful witness, right? So we're sitting there listening to him teach, and we're moved because he's moved, which right. is that compelling testimony that this is really something. Yeah, no, what, it wasn't an act, right? So no. I remember I was sitting behind a couple of guys, and he started, you know, he would look away, and you could tell he's wiping a tear from his eye. He was trying to contain himself. And you, the guys in front of me, it was almost as if they were looking at each other like, what the heck's going on? Looks like he's crying. And then almost the sudden realization for them as they're critiquing him, as they, as they think about themselves going, hmm, why don't I cry more often when I'm preaching and teaching this? Maybe this should move me in a way that it doesn't often move me. Yeah. I mean, if you talk about, if you were to think about overwhelmed by the gospel, that's the man I have in my mind right now. Yeah. You just came across a great this. quote from uh, Teresa Vavila. Yeah. Today, so the there's a reflection in the Magnificat today from one of the great saints. And she was talking about in her reflection about just how amazed she is by what Jesus has done. And I think she even says something like this. She said, I don't know why my heart doesn't break as I write this. Yeah. Right. And Like, do I have that same wonder? Like, do we have that same wonder when we encounter the gospel? Like, this is the effect of the gospel, and our saints give witness to that. Right. Right? Right. So on these next few podcasts, you know, that's what we're talking about, is is, is what's what's the content, what's the power of the gospel? We're going to offer some practicals. On, uh, on ways to do this in, the, in a parish context. And then, so, so this next podcast, you can expect to start hearing Created, right? Yeah, we want to take some time to walk through Created, mm-hmm. Captured, Rescued, Response. We actually want to preach the gospel, right? We want to overwhelm people and in the process, hopefully offer a way for my brothers to consider doing this. Or if maybe you teach religious ed or you teach RCA or teach whatever, they got to know the story before anything else is ever going to make sense. And, and you have a great analogy for this. You talk about this all the time. I love it. Using the school as an example. Yeah, so for, for lots of teachers anyway, uh, at least up to a certain point in your academic career, um, 
the first thing you do at the beginning of a semester is what? It's review. Right. right. Review. We go review over time. what we just did or what we haven't done in some months mm-hmm. to like tell the soil to prepare to plant the new material, right? Yeah, get my mind right. Exactly. And I don't know that we ever intentionally do this in a Catholic context, in a Catholic church, at mass, in a liturgy. Right, but our, but our evangelical brothers do this really well. In spades. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I've, I've got family members who've said things like this to me. We all have friends who've said things like, you know, Father, I grew up Catholic, or Mary, I grew up Catholic. Nick, I grew up Catholic. And then I joined, you know, such and such a, a church down the street, evangelical church, and I met Jesus. And I think oftentimes uh, some of our Catholic brothers and sisters mistakenly think that they're attracted to those places because of, I don't know, like the dry ice machine or the dancing bears or the laser light show, or I'm, I'm being facetious there, right? But I think what resonates with people, most people, that pulls them there is they hear the proclamation of the gospel, the charisma, the story in such a way that they're overwhelmed and then they just stay there, That's right? right? Yeah, and so... so we can objectively say, of course, if they were going to Mass on Sunday, they were, they were encountering the living God, right? But when they leave and they hear the story, the big narrative, all in one shot, it gives them a chance to really step back and say, wow, Lord, that's who you are. Mm-hmm. Of course I want to give my life to you. Right. And so that's why it's so easy to say, I went on the street and encountered Jesus, and I didn't encounter him in the Catholic Church. Right. Course. Objectively speaking, there is nowhere, I mean, let's be clear on this, there is nowhere where you can meet Jesus more concretely than in the Eucharist and in the sacraments. But that's objectively speaking. Subjectively speaking, I'm afraid, at least this was true for my own life, many Catholics don't really know what's happening. And so that just becomes rote and kind of empty. And then it's easy not to go when it's rote and empty, right? Exactly. So the evangelicals, praise be Jesus, are doing a great job preaching the gospel, bringing people to encounters, Amen. right? Friendship with Jesus. And it's crucial right now, right? I mean, this, this, is, this is so urgent right now because of the culture that we're living in. This, this is that whole, you know, the world is crying right now that we talked about earlier and that we talked about mm-hmm. in another podcast. Right. You know, the culture that we're living in is crying. It is hopeless. It's agitated. It's fearful. It's frustrated. It's discouraged. And so... So, Father, it reminds me of a passage. It's, it's the prophet Amos, right? Doesn't he say something like, you know... Um, Behold, I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst for water, but of hearing the words, right? The words of the Lord. So Padre, would you agree that this current famine we're in is causing the cry, right? Right. That's the cause. Like, like our brothers and sisters are hungry. Yeah. They're thirsty to hear from the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And because, right? and, and, and why is this so urgent? Because when people hear the gospel, the gospel brings hope Mm -hmm. because the gospel is the proclamation of the fact that there's only one God. He's got no rival. He made everything that is out of nothing. The highlight of everything he Mm -hmm. made is us. And he has done something about the situation that we're in as a result of sin and uh, the enemy, as we'll talk about in a future podcast. And so, you know, oftentimes the heart of the gospel can be boiled down to this, two words, you matter. Mm -hmm. Mm. Like so you're beautiful. worth fighting for. And who doesn't want to hear that, right? Who doesn't want to hear that from the Lord of Lords, right? The King of Kings. Absolutely. We, we long for that. 
It's, it's, it's within us. Pew Research Center. Right. This past December. Yep. Just came out with some uh, statistics and some, um, some data about the differences between uh, content and length um, of, of, of preaching among, uh, across many different Christian denominations. Uh, and then, there, and then, Father uh, Roger Landry just, yeah. wrote this, just wrote an article about this too. Right, um, Father John. Oh, I got to tell you about Roger. So, uh, <laughs> so Father Roger and I. So, he, Father Roger is a great guy. Many people probably are familiar with him. His writing, his work, his speaking all around the country and the world. So, he and I were in seminary together. We overlapped for like three years, and uh, in the seminary, we used to have a. We spent a lot of time getting rid of a lot of energy, so we'd play sports all the time, and uh, we used to do a tennis tournament every year, and. I, I was anyway, I'm mid fifties now, but I was like a decent athlete, you know, who liked to play tennis. And so every year, the first uh, three years that we, that we were there, I won the tennis tournament in the house. You know? Look at you. Like, woohoo. Oh, there was like four of us who played, right? <laughs> so don't be so trophy? impressed. <laughs> no, I think I got a free cappuccino or something. Hey. <laughs> so anyway, Roger comes, Father Roger comes to seminary my last year. So Father Roger played tennis for Harvard. Father Roger could play tennis. I had a racket. I was a decent athlete. So we got, I think we, we, we got paired up and, you know, in different brackets, we get to the finals, man, I don't even sure I hit the ball one time with him. So, um, God love you, brother. Uh, lots of fond memories of our time together in Rome and really want to give a shout out to you for the great work that you're doing for the church right now. But, but he, he highlights a set of things in this, uh, in his article, breaking open the data, right from the, uh, the Pew research center. So we Catholic priests tend to preach, uh, shorter, Mm-hmm. than our uh, right. Protestant brothers. A lot shorter. And sisters. Yeah, a lot shorter. Um, we rarely, as Catholics, rarely record our homilies, let alone distribute them and make them available for people. Um, we don't reference Scripture in our homilies as often as uh, a typical Protestant uh, sermon would. And, and our vocabulary tends to be really churchy, right? So we tend to, we, we tend to use words that are... And there's good reason for this. This isn't a critique. It's just an acknowledgement. You know, words like Eucharist or diocese or Paschal or chalice or all sorts of things, as opposed to using words like God. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Friendship. Love, love. You know, those kinds of things, right? Yeah. I mean, and just a quick observation there. It's like, you know, we don't have to stop using those words necessarily. We just have to make sure we are explaining what those words mean. Absolutely. <laughs> but so given this data... We want to offer a few practicals, right? Yeah, we're still, keep in mind what we're trying to do in this podcast, right? We want to kind of set the table. That's the image you had, Mary. I love that. Mm. We, want to, we want to serve a feast, which is the gospel, which we reduce to created, captured, rescued response. We're going to start doing that in the next podcast. What we're doing right now is we're putting out the silverware, we're arranging the table, putting the candlesticks on, and all that. And so we, we came up with five helps. That's right. Yeah. That... Maybe as a pastor or an associate, you might want to think about, or a deacon, um, or even just a, a, not even just, but a a layman or woman (laughs) who's on the team at their parish, you might want to encourage your pastor to think about doing. So the first one's this, um, Father Francis Martin, who was uh, one of my mentors, used to always say to us as priests, brothers, (laughs) like, don't preach unless you have a word from God. In other words, so do your study in the first couple of days with the scriptures and then get on your face in prayer and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to say to to this community? Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't give you anything to say, just go to the creed. 
<laughs> you know, just skip the homily. They don't need your cute little stories. Go to the creed, right? So only preach if you've got a word from the Lord. That's the first thing. Second, and, and Mary, you can speak a little bit about this because uh, we were in the parish together. Make an outline available to people. Like, put it in the bulletin. In fact, we gave out the bulletins before Mass because we lot- wanted people to get them. People love that, right? Yeah. So typically, you know, we would we hand out the bulletin after Mass. As we went through this initial 14-week series to try to extend preaching and to really teach and to really dive in and tell the story of salvation history, we gave out the bulletins before Mass. We gave permission to people to open up the bulletin, <laughs> right, uh, before Mass. But they loved it. So there, were, there was an outline in there. What the, what, the, what the homily was going to be about, there was a page just for notes, right. which meant we encouraged people to come with their Bible. We actually bought Bibles and put them in the pews, made them available to people. Fancy that. Catholic yeah. Church putting <laughs> Bibles Bible. in the pews. Ooh, look at us. Radical. So we had Bibles. <laughs> Folks were bringing their journal. They were bringing their pens. And one of the comments, just real quick, if I can say this before we go on to the next things, is that what happened was, even after we finished that 14-week series, I heard a number of folks say, we're not going to return to the way we used to do Mass, right? We're still going to have notes. We can still bring Scripture. We can still write. We can still do all of these things. Father, I think you're going to talk about, I think that next piece we're going to talk about using technology. Yeah, we're still going yeah. to have all of that. But, you know, uh, so speaking, so not having, not having not known this about Cook Council at one point, when you guys were there uh, a number of years ago, I walked in one Sunday Unbeknownst to me that you had this, mm. this, this norm of, hey, open your bulletin, get the outline out. So I'm Start. sitting there. I'm getting the bulletin on the way into Mass like, from someone. I'm getting it handed to me. I'm like, what's going on with this? And so we sit down, and all of a sudden the homily pops up, and I'm watching all the people around me start shuffling papers, opening bulletins, pulling out pens. And I'm like, I was in awe that people were that dialed in. Mind you, someone was so kind as to lend me a pen so I could join in. But anyway, I just, I just love it. It's but, so normal. I was expected. So that's what's so great, right? So you were witnessing that A, folks were engaged, and B, people had an expectancy that they were going to be, hear something that was impacting their lives, was going to transform their lives. Right. I know, I know Ms., when I was first ordained, and up until maybe 20 years ago or so, my, my presumption was people can't handle long sermons. So I, I wrote out, I used to write out every single homily and I'd memorize word for word. It was always three and a half or four legal pages. And it was always eight to, to 11 and a half minutes. On the rare occasion, I might go like 12, 15. I don't believe that anymore. Father Roger makes a big point of saying this. And I think outlines and what we're going to talk about in a second are a huge help for this. So you walk in and you hand me an outline of the talk that you're about to give. Not that the homily is a talk, right? But if I see that you've prepared and done some work well, then just emotionally, psychologically, like I sit back because I know you're, you're going somewhere as opposed to, you know, we're all looking at our watches because, you know, father clearly can't land the plane. He's looking for an ending right now. Right. <laughs> and, and, and the circling around the ending <laughs> takes like another five minutes, you know, so in conclusion for the fifth time. So uh, there's just a great value to having an outline. People can follow along with it. Right. And then related to that, as Mary mentioned. I'm what I would call myself a reluctant convert to using technology in mass. Now, I know everybody can't do this in the church that they're in, but we started using uh, screens at mass. We would project onto the wall. We built a screen into one of the walls so that we could do things like, you know, uh, post what was coming up before mass started. So as opposed to making announcements at the end of communion, I mean, the announcement should have been read the bulletin, right? 
Now we could just show people what was going on, but I have come to love using slides mm. when I preach for a couple reasons, not least of which is we all know this now pedagogically. We all learn in different ways. And few people learn from just listening Hearing. to a talking head. And so if you got a picture or you got a scripture citation up there that you can show me, or you got something that continues to, to speak to me in a way that's not just hearing, it, it, it amplifies the message that's being proclaimed to me. So if you're able to do something like that, I would, I would encourage you to think about, uh, about doing that. Maybe, you know, Nick, you've put out a solicitation for questions. Maybe people got questions for that. And the beautiful uh, thing about some of this is, too, you just mentioned like scripture. This gives families an opportunity to go home after mass over, over their Sunday meal and to further unpack and discuss their notes, their passages, you know, what, what caught your heart, yep. right? It just, it, it just gives them more food to break open. Yep, uh, totally. Two, two last quick points, and then I know we got to wrap up, right? Yep. So a fourth point might be this. Um, record your homilies. I mean, so they're no good. Hit the trash button, right? I mean, this, this is a digital age. There's Mm -hmm. no space, right? So record everything and whatever's good, publish it, get it out there, disseminate it, create a website, create a podcast page, do whatever. Because if, if in fact the Lord has given you a word, Mm. well, then that word's not just for that moment. It's for an ongoing amount of time and you never know who's going to be listening or when. So record, distribute like our, uh, many of our Protestant brothers and sisters do. And then fifthly, most importantly, right? Do this. What, what's the this? Think about preaching the kerygma in such a way that you don't step aside from proclaiming the lectionary, but you step aside from preaching on it for, say, four or five weeks, much like that teacher at the beginning of a semester is going to review. You know, Lent's going to be here before you know it. Lent can be a great time to consider doing a series on the power of the gospel so that by the time we get to Holy Week and we're looking at the mystery of Jesus crucified and risen and ascended, well, we're we're primed for this to land in our hearts in an entirely new way. So consider making time to do this. And the result of that will be people will be overwhelmed and they'll decide to surrender themselves to Jesus, which... I think is what we all want, right? Absolutely. So those are the five things. Preach only if you have a word from the Lord. Make an outline. Make it available to everybody. You know, use the bulletin if you can. Third, use technology. Fourth, record and distribute. It's not hard. Get a high school kid, pay them. Record your homilies, distribute them. And fifth, do it. So before Father John wraps it up, I want to encourage you. If you're listening to this um, and you have questions or, or you want to... Um, send something our way, you can, you can reach us at podcast at acts29.org. We love your questions. Podcast at A-C-T-S-X-X-I-X.org. Yeah, and remember right now, I mean, we're, we're very mindful of the fact that there is a lot going on in the culture. There's a lot going on in the world. We're not encouraging people to be naively optimistic, but because the gospel's power and because Jesus is Lord and nobody else is and because God is, well... God, don't be afraid. God is with you. You were born for this. 